This is All Things Composites. Forward-thinking insights on emerging technologies and developments in the composites industry. Brought to you by Magnum Venus Products. Welcome, welcome everyone to our Composites podcast put on by Magnum Venus Products. Okay, MVP. Dax Shepard. That's literally how <laughs> I would started. so love to be Dax Shepard. That's the point of all of this. This, everyone, is our first podcast as the host of All Things Composites. That's the name of our podcast. Put on by Magnum Venus Products, MVP. Today we talked with Dale Brocious from IACME, who is, I call the chief technology officer because I pulled that from somewhere. It's commercialization And he's the chief commercialization officer. So right out of the gates, I was making a mistake. So I I was a little, I was a little upset with myself, I'll be Mm -hmm. honest. Yeah. He didn't call you out on it though. No, you did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is typical. Yeah, that's, I'm okay. Yeah, that's how that goes. But our conversation was very interesting. I got to be honest, he's brilliant. I mean, he he has been around for a long time in this industry, has seen a lot of the changes he's been on the material side and then how that applies in different areas and, and all over the United States, all over the world doing different composite stuff. So I was really blown away from his viewpoints and his just drawing on all the different experiences he had and how he applied those to kind of his thought leadership. My name is Mike Castera. I work for MVP. I've been with MVP for about a year and a half. Before that, I was in the medical device industry. Um, So I've done a lot of stuff in product management and marketing. I'm Hannah Jay. I work in marketing at Magnum Venus Products, and I will be co-hosting with Mike Castera. And we're excited to begin this journey with everyone, and I think we have a really Awesome first guest to lay the landscape, and we're excited to dive right in. So everybody, please enjoy our very first podcast with Dale Brocious, and hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Dale has over 30 years of experience in multiple roles within the composites industry and has introduced a number of new materials and applications in aerospace, automotive, and other industrial fields. He's the author of numerous articles and trade publications and technical papers within the composites industry. Currently, he's the Chief Commercialization Officer for IACME, a U.S. Department of Energy-sponsored institute located in Knoxville, Tennessee, focused on driving down the cost and improving value of composites for energy-related applications. So, Dale, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. We're really glad that you're able to join us. As we were saying in the beginning, this is our inaugural uh, podcast, uh, and we, we couldn't be happier that, that you're joining us and uh, we're getting a chance to talk to you about all things composites. So, just... Tell us a little bit about yourself first. So a little bit of, of your background and, and some of the posts that you've had and, and how you've come to become the chief technical officer at IACME. Well, I'm the chief commercialization officer. Uh, we have oh, a different CTO, totally but that no, that's okay. I'm a, you know, I'm a techni- technical guy. I'm an engineer by training. And so it's, you know, sometimes I, f- you know, I feel like I, I do a lot of CTO types of things, but, uh, you know, I, Grew up, grew up in Texas in the shadow of uh, the, the oil refining industry and the chemical industry. Decided I want to be a chemical engineer. And those places, you know, had all the bright lights and towers and so forth. Uh, you know, it was the closest thing we had in South Texas to Disneyland. And so, so you know, got, I went and got a chemical engineering degree, went to work for Dow Chemical and, and was a manufacturing engineer for a while. Then they, you know, they got this wild hair and said, we want to put technical people in the sales roles. And they moved me to Detroit. And I started calling on the, on the uh, automotive industry for composites. And that led to a career where I moved out west and got into aerospace composites and carbon fiber. 
uh, spent some uh, some time in molding compounds, some time in, in, in France running a factory there. And, you know, just, uh, you know, been been with several, went from the material supply side, did some consulting for a while and then joined an Australian company that uh, made uh, curing equipment and uh, opened up facilities for them in Dayton, Ohio, and in Manchester, UK, and in Munich, Germany. Uh, and then the opportunity came along for uh, uh, for IACME, the formation of IACME, with the announcement from the Department of Energy to create a manufacturing institute focused on composites that wasn't focused on aerospace and defense. So it was, you know, it's a large, just single investment in composites that I, I'm aware of outside of aerospace and defense or outside the DOD. So it was a great opportunity. Uh, I was brought in to help be the voice of industry within what we do. So you know, we, while we focus on R&D for composites, uh, it's, uh, it's very important that whatever we do is relevance to industry. That is amazing. That's a really long and historied. Diverse. Like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's really cool. Um, I grew up, actually, I'm going to, again, I grew up in, in Michigan. I grew up in Bay City, Saginaw, Midland area. Of course, so. yeah. Yeah, so Dow Chemical is one of the staples in 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 Midland, and so yeah, very familiar with that. Oh, I'm very familiar. I, I, I spent spent time in Midland. Yeah, all right. And you've lived all over the United States, all over the world. So yeah, quite a diverse amount of uh, background and and seeing composites really go from from a little, probably a small portion of what it is now. Um, so tell me a little bit of. You know, what have you seen that really has enabled that growth through those years? What were some of the driving factors that allowed that the the industry to grow to where it's at now? Well, I think, you know, clearly it's all it was driven by innovation. You know, people coming up with new and novel materials or ways of putting materials together. Of course, as a composite, you have fibers and, and other reinforcements in resins, so string and glue. And so it's a kind of how many ways can you can you put fibers and resins together and in what kind of formats? Yeah, and and the real thing, uh, there's a there's a guy at BMW, you know, you know, where they make the i3 and i8, you know, he says at the end of the day, the only technical parameter that matters is cost. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you know, we can we you can you can derive all kinds of really fancy ways to make things, but uh, you know, but if it isn't cost effective, it's not going anywhere, particularly in volume industries. So I think that you know the biggest thing that that's transformed the composites industry over these last you know, the last decade and, and more has been um, this focus on, on speed and scale, you know, reducing cycle times, uh, increasing part sizes, and, uh, and the quantity of parts that are being produced. When you do that, you get the cost goes down. Sure. Yeah. And I was, I was actually reading up on a couple of things that you'd written and you, you had mentioned that increasing production speed and reducing costs were really some of the biggest things that you've you've seen in the past and the things that you're going to, you anticipate driving the future as that, as that makes sense. What are some of those processes? Can you, can you point to a few of those processes that you think have helped uh, increase that speed or, or bring down those costs? What were some of the things that really turned the corner? Well, sure. You know, it's interesting. You know, if you look back 10 years ago, you know, uh, the first commercial flight of the 787 hadn't happened yet. That didn't happen until 2011. Although we, it seems like it's been out there a while. The A350 was 2015. So these things truly transformed commercial aircraft flying. Um, the BMW and i3 and i8 came in 2013. So, you know, they've only been out for a while. And if you look back in, uh, in, tw- in 2010, you know, wind turbine blades, a big wind turbine blade was 40 meters long. You know, and now we're regularly churning out 
you know, out of out of a mold, a set of molds, uh, a wind turbine blade a day that's sixty-five to seventy meters long. You know, you know, and if you if you look at what GE's doing, you know, uh, with uh, Haliad uh, 12, 12X, it's a twelve megawatt uh, megawatt offshore turbine, hundred and seven meters long. And you you guys are obviously familiar with Neyland Stadium, but think about a part that touches each goalpost. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's amazing to think about how that's put together. Even. Yeah. So, so some of the processes that come have come along, like high pressure RTM, and uh, it's and one of its uh, stepchildren, an automated wet pressing um, cycle times there have gone from ten to fifteen minutes a decade ago to one to two minutes. So they're on a par with engineering thermoplastic processing. Uh, if you look at a process like automatic tape laying and automated fiber placements, which have been around a couple of decades, but now we're we're inspecting these things automatically using lasers and camera technology. So it's looking for, you know, any kind of issues in the manufacturing process. And that's really speeding things up. It replaces the manual inspection. Um, we're doing a lot of things in, in process simulation, you know, manufacturing process simulation. So it helps us predict where fibers are, you know, the things that drive the material properties of composites. And then, of course, you know, you know, and you guys alluded to this before is earlier was that uh, is additive manufacturing or 3D printing. And what's happened there, and especially in the last five, six years, I mean, totally, totally uh, transforming the way people are thinking about how parts are made, how you prototype parts and how you, how you make production parts. You know, so, you know, it used to be, used to be that, you know, a big 3D printed part was the size of a shoebox or maybe a little bigger. And now people, you know, and there's still people have to think that very large is one meter by one meter. But you go look at what Local Motors is doing with the Ollie and, you know, the limits are, you know, you know aren't there anymore. Well, when we first did autom automation, or we first did additive, there were no restrictions on it, right? Everybody thought, oh, we're going to print the world. And then and then we quickly learned there were some restrictions, and, and we've come to a take some of those exceptions as the rule. And as we continue to push with different materials and different processes that, we're, that the, several of the companies are putting together, we're, we're unlearning some of those things, or we're, we're taking back some of those assumptions, and, and it's... It's very, very exciting, I think. So it's, I hear you say automotive, I hear um, aerospace or, or, or commercial planes specifically, um, and then air. Are those kind of the, the things that are driving it? Because those, those are the industries that can afford it, and then it trickles down to the others? Or who are those thought leaders there that have helped in each of those areas drive that, that innovation and drive that as those early adopters? Well, aerospace and defense has always always been up there in the early adopters, but let's not forget sporting goods has as well. I mean, there's, a, you know, sporting goods is a lot about marketing and hype. And so, you know, you, know, you think about carbon fiber golf shafts and tennis rackets, things, you know, we use all the time, skis, you know, and everybody's looking for a little edge, you know, so people are throwing graphene into sporting goods now. And, you know, what edge does it really provide? No, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, everybody's got different styles and I'm sure to the, to the really trained experts, they may, they may sense that, but, uh, but those, you know, these that's a pretty short life cycle type of product, sporting goods, and you know, similarly with consumer electronics. You look at consumer electronics, and you know, basically, you know, there's a new phone. You know, Apple introduces a new phone every year. You know, or you know, and so the the life cycles of those those products are six months to a year, so it allows them to innovate really fast and get the margin out of what they're innovating to be able to then continue fund what they're doing. Sure, you know, it's just the, the nature of that business, but. Companies, you know, if you're making, you know, those are all short life cycle types of products. But if you're making long life cycle products, you know, for examples, you know, cars nominally designed for 10 years, 
planes and boats and wind turbines 25 to 30. Uh, you know, and now we're talking about infrastructure applications for composites where we want this stuff to last 75 or 100 years. You know, the, the development cycles take a little longer there to, to get there. So is that really what's holding back from some of these other industries or, or companies to buy into to, to composites? Is the the long development time or is it the cost or what are what are some of the other kind of roadblocks that are holding up the, the drive to push composites into or is it lack of material functionality? There's two things. One, obviously, if, if costs are all equal, you know, what are you more confident doing? And, you know, if, uh, you know, if the guy who had your job 20 years ago built a bridge in concrete and, you know, nothing happened to him and the bridge didn't fall down, it may be in pe- almost in pieces and ready to fall down. So you got to replace it. But, well, I know I can, I know I can build a bridge and I know for sure it'll last another 20 years and my job's safe. But, uh, you know, so, but what we really want to encourage people to do is, is, is to think bigger than that, you know? And so, you know, and obviously if you're, if you're designing aircraft, you know, you have to, you have to be relatively risk averse. And so there's a lots of testing, life cycle testing that has to occur if you're going to put a product out there that's going to last for a very long time. So it's, it's an education, but it's, it's doing the research and the validation that's necessary to, to give the confidence to people. You know, I think, you know, again, you, you, you know, you've certainly met lots of people and you say, well, I'm, I'm in the composites industry. I'm in the carbon fiber industry. And you go, well, I've heard of it, but what is it? And then you have to, you have to relate to things. Do you play golf? Do you play tennis? Do you ski? Do you, you know, have you ever seen a Corvette? <laughs> you, know, right, you, know, right. you know, all that. And so, you know, and then people start to begin to understand what you're talking about at that point. Yeah, I think to that point, I think when you when someone says, what do you do? Well, I work in the composites industry. People don't have a clue what you're talking about. And even when I got into this industry, when someone was, you know, talking to me about possibly coming over to MVP, I was like, I don't don't have a clue what composites, I don't understand what it is. And they don't no, you do. You just don't, you just don't know, you know what it is. And, And then it's just this whole world that kind of unfolds that, it's really amazing. And, and I really like, again, I'll go back to it. It's the speed and, and reducing cost and, and lightweighting. It's all these things that we're taking that all these different processes or, or end products that we're just trying to make better for one reason or another. And it's, it's really amazing stuff. Yeah. And part of it's, you know, it's our own fault. We've let, we've let the buyers or the end users, you know, tell us what our materials have to look like. In other words, if we're going to put a part on a car, well, we have to paint it, and so the customer can't tell that it's composite. You know, they want them to think it's, it's steel. It needs to be as smooth as steel. You know, we, you know, you, you take an a, you know, an A three fifty, and what do we do? We go and paint paint it in the livery color of the uh, of the airline, and so it looks just like an aluminum bodied air, aircraft. People don't know that's a composite aircraft, but they love the experience of flying on those aircraft. But you know, and and. To some degree, they may understand something was done differently, like the big windows, or they like the way that the cabin air pressure does, and they don't feel they feel better getting off the plane. But you know, think what would happen if you if you had a, a you know a big Boeing airplane that had a clear coat carbon, <laughs> what a look that would be! Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you do that. You know, we make we make Trex decking. You know, the wood we make we make polymer composite decking that looks like wood. Well, because people think decking should look like wood. It's those small, small steps in innovation or small steps in changing the mindset of the public. Right. So people are using it a lot. They see it a lot, but they just don't, they don't realize it because, you know, we make them look like other materials. Right. 
Right. So Dale, as one of the you know founders of IACME almost five years ago, and you know I know you've served as SPE chairman and, and a lot of other um, roles with different associations. How do you feel like these associations and societies and institutes have been a driving factor for awareness and adoption of some of these technologies? Well, we all have to play together uh, in, in a great way. And it goes, I mean, trade associations represent the, uh, the industrial members uh, uh, and companies. And, you know, they, you know, they are really good at conveying the industry me- uh, messages to policymakers, the guys who make the laws and regulations, you know, that also provide sources of public and private funding for the R&D needs that need to be out there. And then, you know, those can do a fair bit of public advocacy. You know, they can advertise and, and try to help educate the public on, on what the v- value of composites and, and polymers and plastics are. So you think of the American Composites Manufacturers Association or the American Chemistry Council as examples of that. And then you, you know, then you have the professional societies, Society of Plastics Engineers, as you mentioned, or SAMPI, as many of uh, our listeners are, are aware of. Uh, again, a lot of that role is to educate the existing engineers about the options that are available to them. You know, somebody who's, you know, somebody who's uh, working for Boeing doesn't fully understand, you know, how boats are made necessarily, or wind turbines are made, you know, and so it's always good to, to expose people to different technologies and, you know, having conferences and webinars and so forth that, that help them do that. You know, we always gravitate toward those manufacturing processes and materials with, with which you're most familiar. So as professionals, you have to continue to, you know, to to grow your repertoire and, and make yourself more valuable to your employer by in, being able to bring new solutions back. And then we come to IACME and research institutes and, you know, and our partners at the national labs and universities. And of course, we work with companies as well as, as, as members. But, you know, you know, lots of lots of work in early stage invention, but also taking those technologies to a more mature stage, you know, where they can be validated and so forth. And then we do a lot of workforce development there. You know, helping young engineers and, and, and college students, you know, understand what composites are. So, you know, we're going to generate these, you know, these new hosts of engineers that go out there and think differently and, 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 and behave differently. You know, I mean, you know, as, as you well know, you know, high school kids are 3D printing. You know, right. I, mean, I grew up. I, I I grew up with LED calculators. You know. Right. <laughs> uh, the watch calculator. Right. The little, yeah. yeah. When I first learned of IACME, one of the things I was really impressed with was the workforce development that they do. Just the mindset of not thinking about next year or the year after that or the year. After. It's the t- ten years down the road when some of those people are in positions in those companies to have different influence that they are using some of the processes that were being researched and developed while they were at IACME or working through IACME. And now they're helping push those techniques into bigger companies. And it's, it's such a great way to bring the technology forward and in a sneaky, sneaky way, implement it into industry. But it, it, it's just, it makes so much sense. Yeah, there's you know it's, it's what point do you start to educate folks on this? Uh, we had we had uh, meetings with uh, our equivalents over in Germany, uh, Composites United in Germany, and they showed us a, a kindergarten book, you know, cartoon cartoon book about composites that you know they ha- that they that they prepared and they hand out to kindergartners. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's again you know th- and those kids take it home and you know and maybe and you know maybe their parents get something out of it too. Well, we need a uh... 
we need a uh, app, a kids app that does composites or something. Because, I mean, they have what coding apps that are games for kids, right? Where they're doing coding and teaching them that. So along the same lines of just it's it's just such an amazing thing. Yeah, I think we yeah you know, we greatly underestimate um, how, you know how quickly uh, you know children adapt to new technologies and you know you know you know my my children you know all adults now but they they never you know pretty much never grew up not knowing the internet. I tell the story all the time that when my daughter was two, she uh, she got upset because she when my mom or or my wife's parents would call that she couldn't see them because she was so used to always FaceTiming them mm -hmm. that she didn't, she didn't quite understand until she was a little older that some phone calls could be made without a picture. So it's, yeah, it's just that it's as we move these technologies along and start implementing them at the most rudimentary level, um, that technology really carries forward. And it's amazing how, again, again, how IACME really integrates that into what they're doing. Yeah. And there are some scary forecasts out there of how many jobs we're expecting to be in composites and how few people we have trained and ready to be deployed into those positions. And so I think IACME is doing some really fantastic work on, um, you know, preparing the workforce on all levels from technicians to engineers. You know, it's it's really incredible what, what you guys are doing over sure. there. We've got a program that's being funded by the Department of Defense that that's replicating a very successful composites technician um, program at Davis Technology College in, in Utah, north of Salt Lake, and taking that and and franchising it basically around the country to in hotspots where there are needs for this or growing needs for this. You know, and one of my favorite sayings, you know, that's attributed to Picasso is he you know, says, good artists copy, great artists steal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, basically, you know, take take the things that are working and let's find a way to, you know, to proliferate that. You know, and, and, and make sure we've got people capable of addressing these 20th, 21st century needs, you know, with, with 21st century technologies. So is that the biggest thing that needs to be done in the area is just get more people involved, get more education, get more colleges to offer tracks um, from, a, from a personnel standpoint, right? We can talk process and, and, and materials next, but is that where that has to happen? Is it... Is it um, IACME needs to grow or there needs to be other associations that that help on IACME? How does how does that workforce development continue to be expanded beyond that? Well, I think, you know, I think as, as the nation evolves and, and continues to realize that it's got this problem and needs to needs to address it, you know, we're going, it's going to take the Department of Labor, Department of Education, um, universities and, 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 and entities like IACME to, to come together and and, and find ways to address it at local levels because you know this these are all you know while it's a national problem the solutions have to be at local levels because you know particularly technicians you know, you know don't migrate as easily you know like college students do you know they're willing to go across country to do something you know a lot of times these folks uh, you know have had a career doing something and they have families and they're rooted someplace and so you need to try to bring the technology to them and the training to them as opposed to having to force them to go somewhere else for it. So we're, it's still fairly early on, but uh, it's, the results so far are encouraging. So I was reading something that you wrote um, this week in preparation for this. You were talking a little bit about composites 4.0 versus interest, industry 4.0. And I don't know, Hannah, you mentioned it a little bit. Can, so can you, let's first, let's define what, what how you see each of those and how they're a little bit different and then how they're maybe even in, intertwined. 
Well, you know, I think one of the things is composites are, are, are fairly complex compared to a lot of industries. You know, um, you know, we're actually, you know, if you think about a thermoset mold, injection mold or compression mold or an autoclave or any of those, you know, you're actually, you, those are all chemical reactors. You know, you're transforming monomers and the polymers and certain polymers into bigger chain polymers and so forth. And so it's not just melting and freezing. It's you know, the reactions that are going on. And then, you know, then the, before you even get to that stage, there's the complexities of fiber orientation. How do you lay it up? You know, are you winding, are you protruding, are you, are you, laying, are you uh, hand layup, machine layup? And when you, when you drape the parts, you know, which way do the fibers go when they wrap around a curved surface? And all of, all of these things, you know, AI and uh, Industry 4.0 and instrumentation can help us do a, do a better job of, of uh, demonstrating repeatability. You know, and if you can, and if you can lower the factors of safety, um, you know, you get you go a long way toward lowering the cost. In other words, if you don't have to put that extra thirty percent of material on there just because you aren't quite sure there's enough fiber in some region, or that it's in the right direction, you know, then that that part gets lighter, it delivers more value, and it's and it's uh, lowering cost. But so all of these things come together. You know, we're we're in a really unique time with. Um, What's going on with connected devices? Uh, you know, we talked about our kids, and you know, and how they adapt very easily to all of these things. Uh, you know, and for us, you know, we, we still fumble around occasionally, but uh, for them, it's very natural. And uh, you talk about the number of connected devices that we've already got in our homes, in our modern homes, and then where that's going to go from a factory standpoint is unreal. Cheap, ubiquitous, everywhere. Temperature sensors, motion sensors, you know, things that measure the humidity or the location of something, you know, uh, embedded RFID, all of this stuff comes into play. And for composites, you know, there's got real benefits for it because of the, of the inherent complexity of a lot of our processes. You know, people talk about grades of steel. I can have, you know, there's X number of grades of steel, and so the, the choices are this and this and this and this. But... But with composites, you know, you have billions of opportunities to, to, to create a product. Yeah, we've talked a lot um, when we talk, talk to other, other companies about additive manufacturing. We're talking about our RAM system, about the sensors that can be put into it. And it, because it's, it's a thermosat print, you can put them in the sensors into the, into the print a little differently than a thermoplastic print. But yeah, having, having something in there that is testing the stress level of, of the, of, the inside part of the mold itself that you're maybe that you or the tool that you've printed or laying in temperature sensors right there at the surface or however and then like you said or location or all these other things and now we're really starting to talk about you know how long are these tools lasting and 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 really getting some metrics to some of these things and and having a predictiveness to some of it so like you were saying if if you can orient the fibers in a certain way, you can use less. Well, if you know your tool is going to fail at a certain point, or you've had some data that it's not doing as well, you can pull it off and make a new tool or, or fix it or whatever. And, and you're reducing the cost of scrap or, or something that you've made off of a tool in a way that you, you've uh, proactively mitigated that risk of that, that part that you're making. Sure. I mean, you, you go back and you look at uh, America's Cup boats. You know, obviously, you know, very competitive space. Boats have to be super light. They go super fast. You know, 
to stress them to the limits, but you know those all have embedded fiber optics in them, and you know that's giving you real time data on the stress on the hull or the mast or whatever, and so you can sail right up to the ed to the limit, right up to the edge, and you know and and gain that advantage if you know where that edge is, because the first person that goes over that edge is the mast breaks, the boat tips over, whatever it is, and, and you know and they lose the race. So if you if you're able to sense all of those sorts of things, and, and I think this is where composites really offer advantages over metals. If you're casting steel, you, there's not many sensors that'll survive that casting process. <laughs> you know, but in composites, we have lots of ways we can embed sensors. Uh, composites have advantages in terms of uh, radar transparency and the ability to, you know, to to embed those kinds of sensors as we look forward toward autonomous vehicles. You know, and all the sensors that have to occur on a vehicle like that. You know, composites are great way to incorporate those yeah yeah I, it's a really neat space to be able to to do this in in that sense yeah and an interesting time to be doing it for sure yeah. you know we've discussed a lot of the recent growth and a lot of the changes that we've seen in the industry dale i want to get your input on you know do you feel like these changes are good for the long-term health of the composites ecosystem i've been in the industry for a long time you know and i've seen uh, industry consolidation happen, and then new entrants come in with new technologies and new twists. And you know, we got to remember that we're, we're we're the materials that we're typically replacing are things like steel, aluminum, concrete, and timber. You know, hundreds of years old in the case of some of them. You know, at least a hundred years old in the case of aluminum. And you know, they're well established, and and the players are very large. And so there's a necessity to to be able to provide more services or products to certain segments of the industry that, uh, you know, that, you, that only come with size. Uh, at the same time, you, there's plenty of room for new innovators to come in and, 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 you know, and supply up that chain. But you really do need large players um, there at some point. Yeah, it's, I think we underestimate sometimes when we have these disruptive or new technology that typically they're disrupting somebody else's millions, billions of dollars of revenue, and there's going to be pushback on some of that in, in, in some way. And, and I think that's an interesting point in that sense that, yeah, you're, you are pushing up against very established um, companies, very established uh, modes of, of doing things. And that even, even, and you kind of referenced it before, even if it's that, at the same cost, a lot of times you're still not going to make a lot of headway. And even if you're only saving a little bit of cost or whatever, you're, or there's any you're saving a little bit of cost, but maybe it's more risky. You're not going to, you're not going to move things out. So you have to have, I don't, I don't want to say monumental, but you have to have substantial um, improvement as you're pushing that innovation forward. Otherwise you're just not going to move the, the mountain out of the way. Yeah, you're right. A lot of people don't want to be the you know the first one to go. They want to be fast followers, and so you always have to find a way to get out there and get it proven, and then hopefully you have a bunch of people that don't want to get left behind. So as the industry moves forward, I think recycling and sustainability is becoming a bigger and bigger. I don't want to say buzzword, but it's a bigger issue with all of the stuff. And you reference the wind blades, and that's a kind of a hot topic of all the wind blades that are that are being buried in the sides of hillsides and 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 i know from uh thermoplastics versus thermosets there's a big recycling kind of conversation that's happening 
where do you where do you see some of that kind of going? What do you think is going to help make again turn that corner? Where, where, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I think environmentally, you know, you, you look at you look at the wind blades that are going to a landfill, and you know, the thing is, we build we build products that are highly durable. You know, you know, the wind blades got to go through. Um, hundreds of millions of, of fatigue cycles and last for 20, 25 years, and it's got to do that, you know, without breaking. But on the other hand, that turbine generates that electricity with zero emissions for all of those years, as opposed to a fossil fuel plant. And so, you know, there's a real environmental benefit there, and it's got to be part of the equation. Now, that, that being said, you know, we don't like the idea that we have to, to landfill anything, and so we're working actively on how to how to recycle these. How do you how do you at least recover the energy in the polymers that are in that wind blade and turn that into, say, clean ammonia and clean natural gas that can be used to generate power in a natural gas power facility, for example? And then what you get out of the bottom are fiber, the residual fibers and some fillers that can be put into new composites. And anyway, we keep them out of the landfill that way. But uh, from an environmental standpoint, composites have a lot of advantages. Lightweight vehicles have, or have, are lower emission vehicles. They reduce the fuel consumption. Um, if you, you know, airplanes, you know, the carbon fiber is enabled things, you know, like on like on the seven eight seven and the new triple seven X, you know, those those wing shapes are enabled by carbon fiber composites that allow those planes to be up to twenty percent more efficient. You know, just due to their shape, you couldn't you couldn't do that with aluminum planes. Um, if we think about resiliency you know climate change is a big deal and you know whether that's rising sea you know sea levels uh bigger storms more intense hurricanes things like that if you make if you make say utility poles out of composites you know that's a much more resilient solution than than wood poles you know the you know you don't dock them down you know the the the, the poles are much stronger that way um you know our seawalls and bridges don't spall and break down and rust, you know, due to the rust of a, um, of a steel rebar by, by switching to composite rebar. So I think there's a, you know, the big, we obviously have, there's a big backlash now against plastics in general. And, you know, it's really because of improper disposal of single use plastics. And so there's this tendency across the world and our politicians and so forth just to, just to say all plastics have a problem. But, you know, what we do is we make very little things that are single use. Most of what we, we make is, is meant to be around for a long time and provide benefit for a long time. And, uh, and you know, what we want to make sure we're, that we get ahead of is when all these planes and cars and wind turbine blades get to the end of their useful life, that we have a way of taking them back and, and transforming them and giving them a new life. And so, so there's a lot of research on that, and we're going to get ahead of that. But uh, we're kind of getting tarred with, with that brush, unfortunately, at the moment. Yeah, I think, I think that's an excellent point of the longevity versus single use versus kind of just lumping everything together. I think it's well said. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw a recent article, Jeff Sloan with Composites World, or someone wrote on single-use composites and uh, how we're or, or single-use plastics and how the composites industry is kind of getting tied down by that and, and the differences and it was a really interesting read. Yeah, I read an article about a month ago 
Uh, it was written by a woman who says, I'm, I'm eliminating all plastic from my life. And she was like throwing out her Tupperware. <laughs> right. I mean, I've got Tupperware that's 20 years old. Yeah. Lasts yeah. longer yeah. Than, than, than the China. Well, and again, back to the and back to the other parts of the conversation is yeah, I actually she probably it. has a lot more plastic in her life that she doesn't even realize mm-hmm. because we, as a general population, don't even fully understand the extent of the composites that are within our life. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what she's going to go wear. Right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, great point. <laughs> that's all polyester. <laughs> I guess looking forward, what where where is the next kind of changes in process or materials? You mentioned additive. Additive is a is a special place in in my heart and and what we're doing here at MVP for sure. Um, but there's you know there's that there's other things. Where do you again? I guess it goes back to some of what you're saying about speed and reducing cost and and all of those things, but what what are some of the? Can you point to any maybe specific processes or any types of materials that are going to help drive some of the the big pushes in the next five ten years? Well, I think you know, there's I think there's probably some key drivers out there that are going to force us to to come up with with solutions for them. When you think about the automotive industry, you know, we're moving away from internal combustion engines to Battery electrification, uh, autonom- autonomous vehicles, shared mobility, you know, so vehicles have to serve a different purpose and maybe different ownership roles than our traditional times is, you know, is growing up and, you know, you know, wanting to buy a car and so forth. You know, now, now people may invest in a car that everybody uses, you know, that they're making money off of because somebody else is using it while they're sleeping. Um, you know, battery, you know, again, batteries are becoming a lot less expensive and, and more powerful. And, you know, there's a general consensus, you know, they, we know they're heavy, but, you know, composites have to play a role there. Autonomous vehicles equipped with a lot of sensors, the composites can perform multifunctional roles there. So, you know, rather than just look at, hey, how do we make cars lighter weight? You know, how do we make them more functional and, and to perform these new roles and so forth? And where do we fit into all that? And I think, you know, we're still trying to find where that is. So I'd say that's a trend where it creates a lot of opportunity but clearly a lot of uncertainty as well. Uh, aerospace, everybody, everybody wants to, you know, is, is thinking that the next generation replacements for the A320 and the, and the Boeing 737 are going to have considerable amount of composites, certainly in the wings and maybe, and maybe in the fuselages themselves, so, you know, kind of like the 787 and the A350. But they're building those planes at 70 a month right now versus 10 to 14 a month. You know, so you need to, you got to think about high rate there. And in what I see in the research that, uh, that I see going on in both the U.S. and in Europe, and I've visited a bunch of places in Germany in December, is you're seeing them think about protrusion and high-pressure RTM and some of these other technologies that get you out of the autoclave. And, you know, it's, it's, it's refreshing to see uh, that kind of mindset going on there. And then you get this... And then there's another one, you know, this whole question of urban air mobility, the flying Ubers, air taxis, you know, that's a whole new space, you know, and there's, there's obviously lots of regulatory things to get figured out there. And how do you, you know, we're, you know how, in, a, in a Jetson's age, you know, how, how do you make sure that these things can fly around, you know, remain safe, but efficient and, you know, and, and steer clear of each other. So there's obviously a lot of talking that's got to occur between those and those vehicles just by their very nature, you know, largely going to be battery powered, you know, or, or hybrid powered and need to be lightweight. 
So there's a whole new market space opening up there, and not just for that, but for the infrastructure for for all of the uh, you know the AirPods, you know, or the the, the landing pods, the airports, you know, heliports, or you know whatever you want to call them, that the vertiports that uh, that these things will have to fly into and out of. It's a lot of different industries talking across each other there too, because you've got to right, have. Right. It's yeah, because like you said, when the airplanes or the whatever these taxis are have to kind of navigate around each other that that's a whole different industry of folks having to kind of fold into the mix yeah they got to land somewhere too so you know if, you, if you're going to put these things on top you know land on top of buildings or whatever you need to make the infrastructure that you're going to add to that building uh, be very light so you know because that building was designed for a certain load and you know you got to be careful not to exceed the building load so you know pouring you know big slabs of concrete and steel probably aren't going to be the way to go um, and then, you know, then the, you know, all the things that are related to the, you know, to, to climate change and, and resiliency, making buildings, you know, stronger and safer and, you know, and, uh, and, and, and we've got very aging water systems in the U.S., you know, so how do we do things like cure it in place pipe and deliver that, um, you know, really fast and rehabilitate uh, our aging water infrastructure. So, I mean, infrastructure is one of those that it, it won't, it wouldn't take very much uh, capture of that industry to just turn our industry, you know, crazy, you know, to make our industry grow three, four, five, tenfold, you know, just, you know, just get a piece of that whole infrastructure marketplace. So, yeah, I think there's, you know, we've got this huge, you know, mural of, of opportunity out there. And then, you know, it's going to take a, going to take a lot of effort to get it done, but it's, but it's, it's going to be exciting. That there's a whole bunch of stuff there. That's it's really neat to hear you talk about that. Um, so to find out more, I guess they can come. People can come to the IACME website. They can uh, listen or they can grab a a uh, it's Composites World Journal and and you 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 have a an article in there every month or so. And here here's some of your your other thoughts that you're putting out there. Is there anything else you kind of want to? put out there or plug while you have the opportunity with us to make sure that drive some of the audience to, to IACME or any of the other things you guys are working on? Well, I think, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, in such a dynamic world is there's so much opportunity and so many ideas that, that are easy for overlook. So, you know, I would really, you know, really emphasize, you know, even if you're a, you know, one person shop or a small business that, you know, that we can serve as a conduit to, to help get you introduced to, to uh, the buyers uh, or complementary suppliers of um, you know of your product or service, and so you know we serve a great role there, and you know and and we certainly want to make sure that we're doing the right things for industry. You know we've certainly appreciated MVP's participation in IACME and and look forward to that as well to continuing that to grow that. Yeah, IACME has such a broad network and certainly a really strong knowledge base, and it's it's been you know, an incredible thing to watch over the past few years, just bringing everyone together, that thought sharing, knowledge sharing. Um, it's just a great environment um, to cultivate new ideas and to continue a lot of this growth. But um, the future is definitely exciting. It's it's uh, encouraging to hear, you know, everything you're saying. And I think we really appreciate you having having you on today. And this has been a great inaugural yeah, podcast yeah. kickoff for us, <laughs> uh, really setting the stage for a lot of the discussions we'll have moving forward. So uh, we really appreciate your time and, and input and yes, insights. Thank you so much yeah. and look forward to working with you in the future. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.